Okay. People. The people to keep in mind. Edwin, uh, Edwina, Eileen. And then also healing for the newborns Ingrid and Isadora. May Gabrielle be happy. To Emily, may you be free of fear and suffering. May you be safe. May you be full of loving kindness. May you be happy and at ease. And in the final note, may I always be blessed with the highest best. May my dad heal from his illness in the highest way and be blessed. May my dad find peace, be well, and avoid pain. May my daughter Joyce be well, happy, safe, and peaceful. May all my friends and family be well. May I always be well, happy, and peaceful. Amen. <laughs> 
บุตสังนิยเดมิสวิรจิวิทันชิดังวันันตหันชาริสามิบุตเสวสุบลิทังนาติเมสารนังอันยังบุตเมสารนังวารังเอทนะสาชวาเจนวาเดยังสาธุสาสเนบุดังเมวันดมาเนยังพุญยังปัสุตังอิดาสาเบปิอันตรายเมมาเฮสุงทัสเตจสัมอินวันชัยวันชิตสาวาบุเดคุกมังพัดข้าไม่หาบุโรพัดกันหัชวาชานเท่าข้าใจสอยจงว่าบุเดฮันดมายังดามานุสัตินายังคารุมาเซสุวากาตุปากวัตดามโสันติโควะคาลิโกเอหิปัสิโกโอปานาอิโกปัจจังเวดิตาโบเวนยุหิทิฮันดมังดัมมาบิจิทิงคารุมาเซสุวากาตตาเดโกนายโยกาวเซนเซโยโยมากะพากะปาริยติวิโมกะเบโดดามโมคุโลกะปัตนาทัดดาริดาริวันดามะหังธรรมหรังวารดามะเมตังดามโยสาบปานินังสารนังเคมะมุตมังจุติยานุสัตติทานังวันดามิทังสิเรนะหังตามาสาสมิดาโสวะดามโมเมสามิเคสโรดามโมดุคาสกาตาชาวิดาตาชาอิทัสเมตามาสังนิยเดมิสาริรันจิวิทันชิรังวันดันโตหังชาริสามิดามาเซวะสุดามะทังนาติเมสารนังอันยังดามโมเมสารนังวารังเอทนะสัจวะเจนะวะเดียสัจุสัสเนมนามังเมวันเดมาเนนยังพุญยังปัสุทังอิดาสัพเพียนตรายเมมาเฮสุนทัสเทจสัมเดาสาวะตามเมฆุกมังพักทำไมยอมตามโมพัดกันหัตวาชานทำทอดด้วยสังวัตุวาตัมเม
Handamayang Sanganu Satinayang Karomase Sadamajo Supatipani Supatipano Bhagavato Sawakasango Ujupatipano Bhagavato Sawakasango Naya Patipano Bhagavato Sawakasango Samiche Patipano Bhagavato Sawakasango Yadidang Chata Riparisa Yugani Atapurisa Pugala Esa Bhagavato Sawaka Sango Ahuneo Pahuneo Dakineo Anchalikaraneo Anutarang Punya Ketang Lokasatim Handamayang Sangha Bititing Karoma Se Sadamajo Supatipati Guna Biyuto Yota Bido Ariyapugala Sangha Seto Sila Didamma Pawara Sayakaya Chito Wanda Maham Tamariyana Ganang Susudam Sangoyo Sabapanina Saranang Kemamutamam Tatiyanu Satitanam Wanda Mitang Sirenaham Sangha Sahasamida Sova Sangho Me Samikisaro Sangho Dukha Sagata Chavidata Chaitasame Sangha Saham Niyademi Sariranti Vitanchidang Vandanto Hanchari Samisanga Sopatipanatang Natime Saranang Anyang Sangome Saranang Varang Etena Satchawajena Vadeyang Satu Sasaneng Sangang me vandamane nayang punyang pasutang ida Sabe piantaraya me mahe sunta sate jasam Mahenuwa chayewa chita sawa Sangye kukuma pakitamayang Sangho Patikadhatuvachetankadvesabhartubhva Sangye.
So learning to use one's head. The uh, teaching of the Buddha is often called a wisdom teaching. And in this case, wisdom is uh, not so much a storehouse of knowledge. There's the three kinds. There's the, it's called the pariyati, which means we got the ideas. Study, learning, ideas. Patipati, which means we have a way of applying it. Applied wisdom, wisdom of discernment, wisdom of know-how, wisdom of skill, wisdom of using the appropriate means, wisdom that's learned through field work, wisdom that's learned through trial and error with watching the results of what we're doing. This is the essence of Patipati, or wisdom of practice, and then you have wisdom of realization, Pativedi, which means thoroughly seeing. And perhaps the most uh, um, important bit of this is the wisdom of practice, trying, of trying, of working it. It's in the wisdom of. Uh, study, you get the basic ideas and they're of a general general set, general standards. You get the morality, meditation, discernment, wisdom. You get uh, Brahmavihara, you get the ideas. You get the kind of basic map, but you don't necessarily have a vehicle to steer across that map. This is where a good sailor doesn't just rely upon maps. They also watch the way the currents are going. They watch the movements of the birds. They watch the stars. They smell the wind. They know how to when to put down the storm anchor, when to get the sails down, when to ride things out, when to run with it, how fast they can expect to go. This is really important wisdom you learn over years of meditation there really isn't a shortcut on this <laughs> but to keep practice, that practice there has to be the feeling of you know this is this is worthwhile you get some results at least you get clearer about who you are on an actual level, actual experience of direct experience of 
the kind of critter you got under the hood. <laughs> How many horsepower? And so on. We sometimes we don't really know even what we're living with. And then you kind of wish you didn't. <laughs> mm. So this, uh, in a way, another way of looking at wisdom or discernment is a, is a very fundamental quality that we all have. It's just the ability to know this is this and that's that. You know, to discern the differences. It's a discrimination. This is pleasant, this is unpleasant. And, you know, sometimes people kind of know that. But this is for my long-term benefit. And this is a short-term boost. People sometimes don't get this one. This is a short-term thrill that has a long-term <laughs> disastrous result <laughs> people don't always get that one this is a long-term bit of a you know it seems to be uh, in the in the short term it seems a bit you know of a grind or a bit not much fun but in the long term it's my welfare people don't necessarily get this one you got to be so wisdom there's a certain amount of discernment just a certain amount of you know, no, knowledge that builds up. So there is a certain accumulation of, wait a minute, I think I've been down this track before. Where did it take me? Did it take me anywhere good? Nope. <laughs> and to remember that uh, we can go somewhere very good. It's not beyond us. If one has an interest in Dharma, if one has an interest in practicing Dharma, one has the capacity, no matter what else is under the hood, to go to a really good place. Just needs a bit of tuning and tweaking. Buddha said, you know, several things, like if one has actually killed one's mother or father or an arahant, if one doesn't have these kind of severe karmic obstacles, if one is actually not kind of brain dead, and one can uh, discriminate between, starts then discriminate between skillful and unskillful, is a basic sense of that, you know, like not recognizing you don't kill your mother or father. Um, then you've got a possibility of alighting on this Dhamma. Don't you remember that? But it does take some tuning. And there, so the wisdom of practice is often quite a fine tuning, tuning in, clearing, putting things aside, recognizing some things feel quite good but actually don't get me to a clear, clear place. Get me to just more of the same. 
some things feel a bit tough at first, but actually, as you chew them, it takes you to a good place, a place of letting go. Yeah. So, these are reflections on death. Can be helpful. Not the sort of thing we find particularly, you know, attractive. But. So there's all kinds of, when you really get into practice, then you, you have that understanding that some things are a bit tough, but they take you to a good place. Some things are pretty easy, doesn't take you so good, so doesn't take you to a good place. The main thing is that you don't just let things drift. Don't just let things kind of... Let, you know, this is the wrong kind of letting go, is that we just kind of let let whatever happens happen. The feeling, all oh, this will just eventually it'll go to the right place. It isn't. Sometimes people get really stuck in meditation like that. This is very important, particularly you know, in just kind of you know forming one's practice. It's about like being a tailor, a skillful tailor, who knows where to cut and what to stitch together. What to cut, where to cut, where to say enough of that, and where to say, stay with this, connect to this. And it's not because when they cut things, it's not because they hate the cloth or they disapprove of it. <laughs> it's just because this is not, you know, you're, you're trying to actually something get it so it fits you. You know, you've got to shape it up so it fits what's necessary to do. You don't want to have a pair of pants with three legs on them. You know, you can say it's necessary. You know, you want to make sure the thing fits. So where it needs to be loosened, where it needs to be tightened, you know, when it's been, it's been cut off, snipped. You know, that's kind of I think a very important piece to get. So when one's shaping one's mind in terms of, of steadying it, putting aside what isn't necessary, what isn't useful. Bearing in mind when it, where is the steadying, where is the grounding, how do we do that? And with this, you know, you, you start to cut off things you don't need, like uh, external sensory stimulation, just trimming that. A lot of talking, reading, trimming that off. Your won't, mind won't calm down very much if you think and read a lot. There's nothing fundamentally wrong with thinking reading if you want to make it calm and steady that isn't going to help so you cut that off quiet it down it's not a moral judgment it's just how you shape your cloth if you go into all the stories in your life it's not going to calm down it's not going to get steady so at some point which you've got to say well enough of that for now you know, put that aside. And maybe, you know, with that, there's a point which is, well, there's one or two things you have to keep deep consideration to. In that attitude of just what's really necessary to bear in mind right now. 
then you, you really filter out a lot of stuff. And, you, and as I was saying this morning, maybe you just get down to particular core qualities like worry or you know, obsessiveness or indulgence or something. That's the thing, you know. So you need to bear that in mind and then use the appropriate uh, uh, remedies for that. A lot of this is just really coming into the groundedness of the body, steadying, feeling the qualities of, of ease and well-being. In a, in a regular out-breath and an in-breath. For this you also have to stitch, which means really making sure that your attention is connected to physicality and the energy. You know, that's your basic thing. Where is this? So sometimes we, we just get into the Physicality, I mean the real physical sensations of sitting, you know, of breathing. Maybe you say, let's just go to the physical sensations of that. How do you know you're breathing? Are you sure you're doing it? How do you know the difference between out-breathing and in-breathing? How do you know when an out-breath is finished? So these kind of questions are the tailor's work. Snipping, stitching, snipping, stitching, you know, that kind of work. Vitaka, vichara, pointing. Is that right? Is that right? And one of the things when we, we do that, it does mean that you're actually putting a little more head into it. Head sort of doesn't go off in its own stories because you, you're saying, well, you know, do, some, do this instead. And it's not a tremendous uh, intellectual struggle. It's just the pointing. Is that? Is that? Is that? And you feel the the energy and the and the sensations within that. But you keep the things connected. We don't keep it connected to the physical form. It's quite often the case that people start to swim off. You know, energy sort of swims, and we get either rapturous or sort of start to flow out. Yeah, on an energy feeling, and then or on a mind state. But sometimes you get these subtle energies that start taking over the the body. And it feels kind of nice because it's not deliberate, but it can be a habit that we find ourselves going into because, in a way, it gives us a chance to not have to really you know, take responsibility and connect to this physicality. There was a story of the meditation master Ajahn Tate, who was a disciple of the legendary Ajahn Mun. who was a formidable, formidable is the word, (laughs) teacher who didn't mind laying it on the line. And uh, Ajahn Tate was a very sweet-natured person. And so he'd go off with these very blissful states. Sort of sit and just go into these blissful states. Every time he sat, he'd just go into these blissful states. Imagine months, it took 12 years to get him out of them. <laughs> <laughs> and kind of relentlessly 
get back to bone, bone, ground, bone, flesh, sinew, stop doing that, you know, because <laughs> it was so nice, he just, and so natural for him, he wasn't trying to do it, he's just naturally very sweet, uh, gentle, loving person, nothing wrong with that, really. But it becomes another realm that we get established on. And we're really looking at, at, at insight. You know, this is the bit of insight. It's to get, not get established on anything. Now, this may sound difficult. It doesn't mean getting established in nihilism, in blankness, in dullness, in some attitude or another. It means the mind does not take is get established that being in can come to cessation yeah. and uh, this, you know, I won't go into all that but really you know the sense of the grounding and how sometimes how kind of uncomfortable that can be because you like to go into these nice you know, oceanic states where it's all yeah, I like that if, if I get them <laughs> You know, particularly it's a kind of counter reaction sometimes we've been it's been very heavy lot of thinking figuring things out working things out you think oh god you just want to switch it all off so there's this swing and we either we sometimes if you're not uh, naturally a blissful person you go into dullness kind of like a torpor torpor state what they call it sometimes they call it stump samadhi you just get a kind of gung, state like a log <laughs> So that vipassana is often slightly more, slightly more jolting, slightly more incisive, yeah. But uh, in the in the right way, and it's kind of cutting, stitching, get connected. Yeah, but where are you now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it also means we pick up the specific qualities of an experience moment at a time, whereas the tendency in samatha is just to pick up the general sense of ease, of, you know, of actually making a pleasant abiding, and that's part of it. But then we pass this as upon that pleasant abiding, you start to notice that every moment is just a slightly different, you know. And there's a certain stress in holding it together, in, in, in creating a realm, a steady state. You start to see that so it does require a fine calibration, a fine discernment. But we begin with getting the basic attitude and intention to have that quality of application, of incisiveness, of non-indulging, non-abiding. Yes, what's this about? So actually for many of the Thai meditation masters were teaching very simple things like walking along just feeling the physicality of the body, bones, flesh, you know, or just using a word like buddho, 
you know, but something that kept the mind tethered to, you know, so the, the thinking process or the discernment process is, is connected. You know that you know. You know you're discerning what's going on, clear about it. And you're watchful for the mind sliding, slipping, jumping, zoning out, you know. And you keep kind of pulling it back, pulling it into shape, sometimes gently, sometimes a little bit of a tug to it. And it's a good skill and discipline to learn because when we recognize that that quality is not necessarily tyrannical or judgmental or, you know, forcing us, but actually if we, if we get hold of it, use it properly, it can be for our welfare. And so you start to apply that in your life. You know, what do you really need to connect to? Connect, if you're going to connect to something, make sure it's worthwhile, connect to it strongly, deeply. And go through the rough patches with it, but connect to it. What is just goofing off, you know, it's okay, but so what? It's, you know, start to tighten up, take in the slack from your life. You know, you have a 24-hour day span, you know, and uh, every moment, what's, what's good with that? So you actually, you keep your hand on the steering wheel. And it may be very helpful in that discernment process to, to just to have like, a, like certain riders or, 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 you know, to help you to shape up your day. So you might have a rider called, is there a chance for generosity here? Is there a chance to truthfulness here? Is there a chance for patience here? Is there a chance for resolution? You have these kind of themes in your mind and you keep seeing how you can shape up your day in those terms. You know? What do I really need to say and do? Just, no. Everything you say and do is using energy. What do you really need? So you, you just take in the slack. This is what, um, of course, restraint, renunciation are about. And... Uh, you know, they are they are necessary for our welfare. There's this uh, in the connected discourses. There's this uh, incident where one of these devas, angelic beings, are out there. Ajahn Tate used to go and visit them. They're out there. (laughs) Blissful, happy beings came to see the Buddha and said, "Where, where do we find safety for sentient beings? Where is there real safety? And the Buddha said, not apart from awakening wisdom, not apart from restraining the sense fa- the faculties. Not apart from relinquishing all do I see safety for sentient beings. 
four lines. It's a fairly kind of a, there's a certain sternness there, or just a simplicity. He wasn't saying you've got to do this, just you ask me. This is, I don't see it any other way. You know, my experience. You've got to restrain, you've got to collect it in. The mind, we have karma, we have this karmic potential, and it will run. You've got to think, do you want to go that way? Do you really want to keep it going that way? If you don't, it's cool, it's just wasting your time or causing you suffering. You've got to pull it in. I say enough of the stories, enough of the regrets, enough of the whatever, you know, enough of that now, enough, you know. It's just what it takes to do that. You get to the, take, get the story, take it to the emotion behind the story, hold the emotion there, feel it, breathe through it, see, you know, the intention is to liberate that emotional energy. So it's enough, you can rest now, make peace with that. We're in a world of unresolved and unfinished probably in a life of unresolved and unfinished and unfinishables and as I was saying the other day if you're waiting for it to end you're going to be here forever you're waiting for it to come to a satisfactory conclusion you'll be here forever so how do we make peace with the unresolved you know, so, in one sense, this is what the world is. It goes rolling on. But in ourselves, it's that sense of, you know, how much, tri- how many tribunals do I want to go through? How many, you know, whatever it is, reviews and so forth do I want to go through? Is there something more useful to experience a sense just of compassion, recognizing also karma, people's karma. This is what's called equanimity. It's a very steady being with, without praise, blame. It's a trimming and a careful, you know, holding of our empathic, state so it's not just rocking up and down and it takes practice you want to be a quantum you have to be patient you want to be patient you've got to learn to give up something (laughs) you want to give up something you've got to get the scissors out And if you want to do that, you've got to bind, bond yourself to something else. You can't really give up something until you've got something better. You know, it just doesn't work that way. So, you, do you have your dignity, your self-respect? 
And the self-respect comes through virtue, through recollection of your virtue. You connect to these things, then you're able to say, I don't, don't need that anymore. I don't need the praise. I don't need that. I don't need the being the winner because I'm, you know, my own vehicle is, is fine with that. So this is the quality of re- restraint, just collecting oneself and one's virtues, practicing them, acknowledging them, getting in touch with them. And I think a very important exercise every day for all of us is just to remember, recollect, not just think, but think and really get it that you have done good, you have thought skillful think thoughts, you have refrained from acting on unskillful thoughts. You have at least attempted, you know, to penetrate the Dhamma. And in many cases you have. You know, and you're, le- you're witnessing your karma rather than just kind of following it. And if you're keeping precepts, just imagine if everyone in the world kept one precept. Or even half a precept. Like just to... Re- <laughs> Refrain from killing other humans. You know, they just kept half a precept, let alone mosquitoes and ducks and fish and things. It's that. You know what transformation that would be. So if you're keeping a fistful of them, okay, you know, so it's not something that you get a big buzz out of, but you realize in the long term, you know, if you refrain from drink and drugs, which is generally pretty nice when you have a hit. Otherwise, people wouldn't do it. <laughs> so pretty good. And a few hours later, not so good. So, but then, you know, pulling in that one and recognizing you've done that. So the sense of anamodana, rejoicing in the restraint, in the goodness that I've done, in, this, in the, you know, the line I'm following. Very important. Then when we... We, we find our center, and our center is embodied, it's lived out, it's, it's recognized, we're conscious of that, we remember it, we feel the results of it. So as your head consciously recognizes, your heart enjoys, and you're really living it and walking it. These are, this is very important to establish, because then it's a much lot easier to discard the unnecessary and your, your life's going to be more collected you won't have so much stuff to have to sort out when you come on retreats mm. <laughs> nice wouldn't it you know I make, I make a point even not thinking about things I don't need to think about now admittedly this come, can get into the feeling of don't bother me you know I'm a bit defiled <laughs> but I think, well, just what really needs to be thought about and the degree to which it needs to be thought about. You know, just acknowledgement, okay, that's that, that's that. And then, well, he's doing that and she's doing that, she's fine, she can work with that. I don't need to get more into that, she's doing that, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I don't just kind of keep fretting and worrying about it. Yeah. And then what you really need to know. So this is important because with a, a, a logosphere, we get into logorrhea, which is a kind of proliferation. You read newspapers, websites, and get connected 
some reason or other to all the verbiage everywhere, all seemingly reasonable and important and useful, and at the end of the day it's kind of ugh, rocking around. And uh, somebody said they stopped, they stopped getting newspapers for a year and felt they hadn't actually missed out on any news. They just, there's just the names had changed, that's all. <laughs> Now, there's a middle in that, isn't there? There's a middle way in that. But, you know, it's how, you know, reading things, how easy it is, how how compelling it is. Newspapers, you just can read one of them. These columnists giving their opinions on so-and-so and so-and-so. You just kind of find yourself gliding down that page. Somebody tearing somebody to shreds. You get the end of that. Oh, okay. And then what the footballers are doing. <laughs> It's easy because it doesn't doesn't take a lot of effort. You just kind of glide through it, spend an hour or two, and you put it down. Well, no more. So we do have these ways. They're kind of subtle ways of entertainment, you might say. Doesn't sound like, you know, but it, uh, anything that immoral. It's not immoral, but just recognizing what you. You know, what you put your attention into has its effects. Attention is a source of karma. What you're drawn towards, what you put your attention into, definitely has its effects. Are those what you want? Are they helpful for you? If so, all well and good. If not, you know, don't just recognize it. It's either useful or not useful. And make some trial and make some errors and find out get discernment going and this is not just about meditating this is about developing that particular attitude all the time so then it certainly your meditation will be a lot more have that natural faculty of discernment will be there finding focus clearing the desk And for this uh, another uh, quality of uh, or handling attention, remember what we attend to gives results. So it's in a way it, it, is, it is an aspect of karma: attention, intention, and contact. Remember three things that karma builds up around. So what's called skillful attention or appropriate attention or attention it's called yoniso manasikara manasikara means attention it's a natural faculty of mind yoniso manasikara means attention that gets to the source of things gets to the real root of things and uh, said, this is a very helpful tool because the way one wisely attends is really how is this affecting me what are the results of it? And very, most fundamentally, it's, is this uh, suffering or stress or pressure? Is it generating it or releasing it? Is it contributing to the way of release? And he said, the way one unwisely attends is 
I am this, I was this, this happened to me, I will be this, why am I this, am I this, what will I be, why was I, where was I, whose fault is it, could I, should I, so this is called unwise attention, because it, it doesn't have a, an ending, And it doesn't really have a, a tangible source. Right now, who I was is an opinion and a memory, even to me. Who I am is a matter of opinion. What I will be is guesswork. None of these really relate to anything actual. They relate to perceptions, impressions that um, have their uses, but for the release, one takes a very radical cut, saying, just get to the point. Right now, what you're doing is that getting, causing the pressure, the hanging on, the hunger, the craving, is that causing it to diminish, or is it just keeping it going? And so this self-view tend, will tend to have keep it going. Because if I'm in a good space, it's how can I stay in a good space? You know, how can I make this good space last longer? Does this good space mean I'm one of these? And I've got to this stage or that stage? Am I a whatever? You know, that's suffering. In a bad state, is it because I kicked a Buddha in a previous life? <laughs> you know, <laughs> am I going to be reborn as a turtle or a warthog or something? <laughs> Why am I like Am I just fundamentally crippled, you know, an emotional idiot or what? What is wrong with me? You know? So there is suffering. Where, is it, where the ending of it is is what's actually happening right now is doubt or restlessness, pain, regret. Okay, just take that thing, that, that experience, just as a thing in its own right. You know, this is the regret. Everybody has one of these. Your regret experience, your doubt experience. You all have these energies. What does it feel like? What does it do in your body? How do you breathe into that? What's its, And if you... St- you know, there's not just the sense of naming it as not self, but the kind of emotional disengagement. Now, if you're careful with that word, it means not so much neglect or forgetting it, but there's no emotional rider on it, like, this is a big deal. You know, or, oh, you've been hurt so much, you know, even if you have. Right now, that doesn't help. You did something bad, really bad. But right now, all you know is regret. You don't have to put adjectives on it. You want to, because it will just make it swell and grow and start rocking around it, get out of, gets out of control. You just want to know everyone has messed up. <laughs> what is it like now? You know? And where do we say, 
okay, I've sensed that, I know that, I've learnt that. You know, let let it move on. How does it move on? And uh, what is the, you might say, that that kind of emotional space that can allow these difficult things? This is what the metta, loving-kindness, compassion, appreciative joy, equanimity, we just hold that in that sense of, you know, feeling the distress, the negativity, the, the poison feeling. Okay, just hold that in quiet warmth not trying to get rid of it not trying to say you shouldn't feel it just holding it in that quiet warmth but holding it don't let it spin into stories and it's just you know one of the uh, practices we can do is just asking it what it needs to do that already is a gesture of compassion what is this feeling need to be letting it move through you so can this can be the a clearing mm-hmm. so this is a skillful piece of connecting connecting wise attention connecting wise attention to a painful mind state connecting a skillful aspiration intention to that mind state putting it together, just saying, okay, just see where that one goes. But it's certainly not uh, blotting things out, the the skill of that. And uh, in my own experience, sometimes these things do have a last last for a while they tend to reduce in their intensity they know they've been held touched and may come back again slightly less intense slightly less emotional proliferation around them there it is again I think we were saying the other day about the grieving process you know you handle it once it comes back you handle it again and maybe over defending year two years five years it's just coming back less, but not because you're pushing away, because that holding that in a careful, equanimous space, it starts to gently drain. a very helpful reflection to connect to other beings you know it's another connector isn't it we use wisdom somebody else has been with this everybody gets one of these when we disconnect it goes oh I'm on my own I'm alone I'm out there helpless and it's the disconnection that is the most disorienting where the mind just starts spinning with nothing to connect to apart from its own story so it goes round and round and round I'm so helpless, I'm so lost, I'm so betrayed I'm da 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 
and it goes spinning round, I say, you know, in that sense of everybody's been here. The story of Kisa Gautami, I'm sure you remember that one. Maybe you don't. <laughs> okay, so this is the one. <laughs> Kisa Gautami was a, uh, a woman who she just um, lost her, her newborn or infant, just died, disease, died. So she's very distraught. She sees this holy man, the Buddha, thinks, Oh, maybe he's got the power to bring this baby back to life. So she goes, please, 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 Master, please help me. Please, please help me. I'm so, you know, my baby meant the world to me. Please, please help me. Um, bring, you know, I want to f- find a way I can, I can, you know, bring my baby back to life. And the Buddha says, well, I think I can help you. And so I want you to just go to the town and just get, get a mustard seed. There's, you know, there's so many hundred houses in that town. Just go and get a mustard seed. Bring it back to me. She just goes running. She says, just a minute. Get a mustard seed from a house where nobody's died. Okay, she rushes down the hill, knocks on the door. Do you have any mustard seeds? Sure. Can I have one mustard seed? Yeah. Okay, just a minute. Has anybody in your house died? Oh, please don't remind us. My mother passed away a month ago. Oh, next door, door. Can I have a mustard seed? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Has anybody in your household died? Oh, we're still getting over it. My brother passed away yesterday. Knock, 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 next one. <laughs> mustard seed. Anybody died? Oh, my, my dear child died uh, last night. She goes to the whole house, everybody somebody's dying so she gets to the end of it she no longer feels so alone in her grief heart opens in compassion and she's able to take the baby bury the baby experience a sense of it's resolved this child lives in my heart along with all other beings of great compassion. So connecting to others is very helpful. Disconnecting is the same thing. Disconnect from your body, you spin out. You disconnect from your kinship with others, we spin out. We lose empathy, we lose compassion. More than that, we not only do them harm, we do ourselves harm because we end up in a very tight little space and me and mine, and me and mine, <laughs> you know? And some of it is, is indeed painful and not fair and wrong, and those are, I think that's the problem. Well, it is the problem, but if you realize that to the, how everybody's got one of these, suddenly, hmm, okay, this is where we're at, you know, I will hold mine. And there's a feeling of being held in the universality of dukkha. Isn't that a cheerful thought? <laughs> but you know, this is why, you know, the Buddhists, why do Buddhists believe in suffering? Why are they such a miserable bunch? 
why do they worship suffering? <laughs> why don't they worship something more worthwhile? Happiness, joy, <laughs> bliss, love. Because <laughs> it's a pragmatic sense that this is where you know, happiness is indeed a pleasant state. Feel good with it. What's more for our welfare is compassion. You know, may think I want to be happy. Yeah, that's good. But compassion is much better, much wider, much more long-term usefulness than happiness. And you come to that through really apprehending suffering. And if you know bliss, we want bliss. We want equanimity is much better than bliss. Yeah. It's very, very wide. It doesn't mean nothing counts, nothing matters, but there's that sense of not being rocked. And it's much better than bliss. Much more long-lasting, much more useful than that. You know, if you go to, you know, certainly when I was living in India for a while, wow, you know, you've got to really, you know, that that quality of equanimity has to unfold. Doesn't mean you don't care, doesn't mean you don't do anything, don't have any actions, but there's a sense of even-mindedness about that. We can do our bit, but we're not, no expectations. So some serious bit of needlework is needed, connecting to other beings, connecting to our bodies, connecting our thoughts relevantly, you know. What's the point now? Where and specific. And you can train yourself in this too. Just when you walk from here to your room, you've probably done this, <laughs> well, I must have done this every day, and back again. Take note. Why is tonight like no other night there's ever been? Like nothing else. Why is this footstep like nothing else has ever been, the only footstep in the world. Why, how is it that this time you notice, you know, the treads on the stairs, you notice the grain in the wood, you notice the sound of the door, get very specific. Then you begin to see in that specific, very clear, but non, it's not obsessive because you're not holding on to the I am sphere of my, is holding on to actual phenomena as they arise with no particular agenda. This is arising and ceasing, arising and ceasing. Specific things that have arisen and end and they never happen again. As you start to tune into that, then you look at that in your own breath. 
in your own phenomena, in your own body. Everything specifically, generically, we can talk about breathing in and breathing out, but specifically, everyone is a different moment, like a series of dots on a line. It's just it's not even a dot, because even as it arises, it's sort of falling away. This is insight. And the beauty of it is that the mind, when it actually has that sense of closeness and bondness and attentiveness, it also carries the quality of calm and steadiness. So samatha is not separate from vipassana. You can't be a frantic vipassana. <laughs> you know, because you don't get that sense of the, of the specific you keep you know, shifting around. You've got to see one thing carefully, steadily, to see that every one thing is not one thing. It's just a gesture. It's just a, a moment that's kind of melting away. Every something is nothing. One of the things that we um, start to you know, give wise attention to is big pictures, ultimate truth, you know, the true nature of reality. You know, the cosmic law, the big picture. We like, I like, we like those big pictures. Going to go ah. You know, 48-inch screen. Wow. <laughs> That's something, uh, you know, you just kind of, your mind just glides on these massive truths, you know. Wow. And uh, But the, the, um, the Buddha would often say things like, you know, People ask a question about that. He said, it doesn't, it's not conducive. Why we're here is not conducive. Um, and it, you know, it's not, the, why the world has arisen is not conducive. Um, where it comes from is not necessary to know. This is very frustrating for people. But he said, I don't teach it because it doesn't lead you to the best place the place where your mind is released. There are many things we can know, but they don't take you to the place of release. There's an intellectual thriftiness. <laughs> you know? And when one's uh, you know, intellectually hungry, some of them think, yeah, you know, what about that then? And generally, oh, like the nature of Nibbana, what is Nibbana? What actually is that? How can you define that? The Buddha said, you don't, don't go there, you don't need to know that. Why not? It's kind of interesting, isn't it? Don't, don't go there. Don't bother with that. Don't open the box. What's in that box then? 
Is it this is, is it sort of like non being or being or being the non being or not being being? Buddha <laughs> said don't don't think about it. So if you'd been thinking about Nibbana for two and a half thousand years, human beings being the way they are. Buddha said, just concern yourself with is this suffering. <laughs> think, oh dang it, I've heard that boring line, you know, suffering cessation. I'm fed up with that one. Give me the kind of ultimate law, truth, reality. And Buddha said, I've got an ultimate truth. I've got four relative truths. There isn't an ultimate truth. But what are we here for? What are we here for? Does that question cause you suffering or not? <laughs> so it's very ruthless tailoring. But because our, our minds, you know, we've got V8 turbocharge, those babies, you can't let them ro- roll because those babies will just go hooting down the freeway forever. <laughs> so it's that sense of you know, that kind of snip, 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 snip. It's there. You know. Here, now, this energy, action, you know, is that. You know. <laughs> so we, we, this is the using the, the, the wisdom faculty. And it's wisdom faculty that is not really presenting some picture or presentation of ultimate truth. It's a wisdom faculty that's saying, this is, this is what you need to do to release. It's not knowledge for its own sake that we can, wow, wow, fantastic, you know, that's amazing. It's not that kind of knowledge. It's knowledge that's saying, this is what you do. Do this, stop doing that. <laughs> it's that kind of knowledge. It's, it's a tailor's wisdom. But the point is that that's all you need to know because then when you've made that, you you, you walk around in it. You don't need to make anything. It speaks for itself. You live it. And all you know is not suffering so much as I used to. Just tighten up a bit here. Let Let out the sleeves a bit. That's better. Suffering a little less, you know. Let's connect to that. So it's that kind of uh, discernment. So in our practice, and like in these, this is daily review. Sometimes these interview sessions say, just you know, all those thousands of mind moments, just tailor it. Get like. You know, a minute of the real bit in there. Prune off all that and just get to the real bit. Do this for yourself. Where's been the dukkha? Where's been the release from it? Where's been the path today? Where's been the, you know, kind of that review is really, really, then you're able to start designing your practice. You know, not just in meditation, but in your, in your daily life, and uh, and then it gets uh, in really making those very important steps. They start to link up because as you live, you know, you're, you're shaping it so that your life is going to, your meditation is going to have to 
do less, you know, snow shoveling to get back to the road. So I'll offer this for your reflection this evening. Legs a little, uh, and then we can conclude the evening with a sitting together, just for a change. from my practice and through this act of sharing may all desires and attachments quickly cease and all harmful states of mind until I realize Nibbana in every kind of birth may I have an upright mind with mindfulness and wisdom, austerity and vigor, may the forces of delusion nor weaken my resolve. The Buddha is my excellent refuge. 
unsurpassed is the protection of the Dhamma. The solitary Buddha is my noble Lord. The Sangha is my supreme support. Through the supreme power of all these, may darkness and delusion be dispelled. Supatipano 